Hi, I'm Abby, and you're listening to the Fitness Drifter Podcast, a body confidence podcast for men, where I try to help you shift away from stressing about things like weight, body image, abs, and dieting, to focusing on feeling fitter, healthier, and happier, and using nutrition and exercise as a positive force in your life. Welcome back. Last episode, I gave you an overview of cosmetic surgery in men in sort of general terms. This time I want to talk about my own experience. I touched on it in the last episode, but this time I'm going to actually go into a bit more detail, well, into a lot more detail. In March, 2022, I had a dual procedure. I had an abdominoplasty or tummy tuck to remove loose skin from my abdomen. And then I also had a gynecomastia procedure or male breast reduction to remove the loose skin from my chest. It had been on my mind to get the loose skin removed since 2010, 2011, which is around the time I got sort of to my target weight range. And I realized that I'd have a lot of loose skin and it wasn't going to go away naturally. It, it, it had to be done with surgery. I didn't have great body image before or during weight loss. And it improved some ways in a bit when I lost the weight because my clothes were better. My ego was boosted by getting praised for my weight loss, but it did still affect me. I was very self-conscious of my skin, so I was always in baggy clothes. There were always probably one or two sizes too big. No swimming, no changing in public, nothing that would give even a clue about my actual body shape. And, you know, no sort of relationships because I never wanted to put myself in a position of being intimate with someone where someone might see what I actually look like. I never really wanted anyone to see what my torso looked like or what my body shape was. And it affected every part of my life and my mental and physical health as a result. It's something I knew I wanted done. But I also knew that I needed a lot of things to line up to make it happen. It's expensive and it involves not being able to exercise or move properly for a little while. And there's, there is a general sort of fear or anxiety around going through any kind of surgical procedure, which I think a lot of us get. So between an unstable and regularly changing work situation, being slightly obsessive with my exercise routine and not being able to, you know, be inactive for long enough to get to the recovery, there was never going to be a right time. And that's not even counting the fact that it was just way out of budget for me. Or at least that's what I thought. I kind of figured out it's something I want done, but I just thought I might never be in a position to make it happen. But then I started thinking more seriously about it in early 2020. I was in a work from home job. I was earning good money. And then of course the pandemic happened. So there was absolutely no chance of me getting the procedure then. And then the upheaval of COVID and lockdowns and just generally trying to cope with that, it sort of meant that it just dropped in priority massively. But with lockdowns, life kind of did calm down eventually. I ended up losing the job that I was in pre-COVID, uh, but then I found myself in a much better paying and 100% remote job. And then because gyms had closed and my exercise routine had been disrupted so many times, I wasn't as obsessive about sticking to a routine. And I was walking a lot more and I actually got down to the lowest weight I've ever been in my adult life. So I wasn't going out, I was earning good money and I was saving quite nicely. And as lockdown started to ease and COVID restrictions started to ease, I started to think about the surgery again. And one day I got to the point where I figured, I don't even know what I'm waiting for anymore. I felt like I had budgeted. I felt like I was ready. I was in a good state of fitness. I was pretty lean. And then I just started inquiring with local hospitals about the procedures. I decided to go with a hospital chain called Nuffield Health. If you're in the UK, you may have heard of them. They have a few hospitals and also a few gyms. And I used to work as a personal trainer at one of the gyms, which is why they were my first choice, just because they had some company or brand familiarity for me. So the way it worked was that I inquired at a few hospitals about the procedures I wanted. So in my case, it was abdominoplasty and chest reduction or breast reduction. Those are the two areas which have the most skin that I really, really wanted to get addressed. The hospitals, when they replied, they passed on the details of the surgeons or consultants who specialize in the procedures that I'm looking at. And it was up to me to reach out to them and arrange my consultations. This is, of course, all done privately. I don't know what the NHS process would be or what the timeline would be. 
And to be honest, I'm very skeptical that you would even get something like this done on the NHS anytime soon. I started looking at the consultants I was getting. I did a couple of online consultations. I looked at every surgeon's before and after portfolio, their social media, how transparent and communicative they were. I looked at the credentials, I looked at reviews, you know, so that's Google, Real Self, Facebook, Instagram, any comments on social media. And then I settled on one surgeon that really stood out to me. He had a great portfolio, glowing testimonials. He did a lot on social media, very calm, reassuring, and he was very transparent was talking to talking through procedures. With cosmetic surgery, overseas is an option and it's often a cheaper option, but I would not have felt comfortable just because of risks of complications and trying to sort out, you know, any follow-up appointments and all that. It just felt like it would be a, a lot more hassle and any potential cost saving. Now, when you do inquire and you start having your initial consultations, you don't get any definitive quotes or finance options really until a surgeon's actually examined you. And then every surgeon and every hospital will have different fees. Like with the surgeon I ended up playing with, for example, he works from two different hospitals and, you know, same surgeon, same procedure. But when I actually got the quotes, there was a £3,000 difference between the, two, between the two hospitals. Everything else was the same. It's just down to what the hospital fees were. So I got to the point where things felt aligned and the time it felt right. I was financially comfortable enough to afford it. I was working from home and could take time off work. I wouldn't need to take that much time off work as it turns out. I'd be able to walk again not that long afterwards, so I'd be able to get some exercise in. And so, you know, it just seemed like the right time. Having contacted the hospitals and having been through a few consultations, I knew the surgeon that I wanted to go with. And I called his clinic in September 2021 to make an appointment or to book in my first consultation. And with this surgeon, you're not going to be able to book a procedure until you've had two initial consultations. So I called in September 2021 thinking... You know, I might be able to get a consultation in the next couple of weeks and then I might be able to have my surgery in you know, November or December. Absolutely not. I called in September. The first consultation, the first available date was January 2022. So I went ahead and booked my first and second consultations at the same time. First one for middle of January 22 and second one for end of January 2022. I did not want to take any chances. So I was just like, you know what, let me just get them both booked in now. So the good and bad of this waiting time, the good was that I could do all the research that I wanted to do. I knew I could get some idea of what to expect, the risks, the recovery time, and I could go into the consultations feeling well-informed. The bad was, given that I was 99% sure I was going to go ahead with this procedure anyways, knowing that it was a major procedure and what the recovery was like and that I was going to be doing it anyways, it felt like I was in limbo, so I lost motivation with my fitness, just knowing that I'd have a two or three month layoff coming up after that. I was also dieting a little bit obsessively because I wanted to be as lean as possible going into the surgery. So mentally, like I was so focused on the surgery, it, it did sort of affect my physical health a little bit, just getting myself ready. I didn't really tell other people about it. I didn't tell friends or colleagues or anything. Obviously, I did tell my family. And when I was talking to them about it, they weren't keen. They were never going to stop me. But they kept saying, you know, you're fine as you are. You don't need surgery, which you know, you, you'd kind of expect. I mean, I think we'd all be a little bit shocked if we spoke to our families about this. And their response was, yeah, finally, let's, let's just get this done. You need it. I, I, yeah. So, you know, they kind of gave that standard response, which you expect a family that cares about you and likes you as you are. And that's kind of the response you'd expect. I think at this point, it's important to add a couple of things. Number one is that you can't expect anyone else to fully understand how you feel in your body or in your mind and how you think something like a cosmetic procedure would change your life. You also need to make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons for you. And no one else can really tell you what those reasons are. I've touched on this a bit in the previous episode. My family wasn't keen. They weren't unsupportive. And, you know, they would support me in the recovery and they were never going to do or say anything to stop me. But yeah, they, they weren't overly keen. So anyways, so that's kind of what happened between September and January. Then I went in for my first consultation and I was nervous. After a decade, it finally started to feel like it was real and actually might happen. And that was a little bit intimidating. But the surgeon, when I had my consultation, he was very calm. He was very clear. He was re very reassuring. You know, I had researched obsessively. I have two doctors in my family. So I 
knew what he was talking about beforehand. And most of the information was stuff that I had already read up on. He did a very thorough examination of the areas I wanted operated on, talked about scar placement, recovery, keeping realistic expectations. So for example, because my chest wasn't symmetrical to start with, the scars are probably not going to be symmetrical. I think once they're fully healed. When I first inquired, I also asked about my glutes, I asked about my thighs because I felt like I had some loose skin around those areas as well. So he had a look, he gave me an examination and he said he recommended not doing those parts. And to me, that was a little bit reassuring because he wasn't just trying to, well, he wasn't just after my money. He genuinely seemed to have my best interests at heart. He wasn't like, yeah, let's do everything and give me your money and I'll have you looking perfect. He was more responsible, more ethical, and just, you know, more realistic. The first consultation went well, and he gave me a lot of information to read between the first and second appointment, which would be a couple of weeks later. In that time, I also got the quotes for the procedure at both the hospitals he worked at, as I mentioned, and some information on finance options. I knew which hospital I wanted, so it was pretty easy to make my decision at that point. Also, just, just in case someone is curious, I'm not going to mention the specific cost of the procedure I had because I don't think it's fair for you to be going into, if, it, if it's something you're looking at, I don't think it's fair for you to be going into a consultation with another surgeon or even with the same surgeon, you know, with that kind of preconceived uh, notion or preconceived idea of what it should, of what you should be paying. Most places will give you a broad general fee estimate and the quotes, which I got in the end were towards the lower end of that range. So I probably over budgeted for them, but you're not going to really be able to get a final or accurate quote until you've had a consultation and probably an examination with the surgeon. But most places will be able to at least give you a sort of ballpark range to look at. Anyway, my mind was made up between the first and second consultation and the second consultation was just mainly to answer follow-up questions and kind of clear any lingering doubts in my mind. What's interesting is that there were zero attempts at actually selling to me or trying to make me buy. I was told if I wanted to go ahead to contact this person at the clinic and they will book in a date and take a deposit and run through the payment options. So there was zero pressure and I'm the one that had to take the lead on going ahead with it. So I confirmed I'd like to go ahead and this was towards the end of January and I was offered two dates. One was at the end of March and one was at the end of May. March happened to only be available because of another cancellation. Otherwise it would have been a little late. So I had zero hesitation in going ahead with the first available date. So I had the deposit paid, budget set aside. And I split my payment between an upfront payment and a monthly installment. Depending on the hospital you go with, depending on the surgeon and the clinic you go with, different ones will have different finance options. For me, it was a split between an upfront payment for about half and then a 0% interest uh, monthly installment for the other half. So after my date was booked in, there was a little bit of a lull. There were three or four weeks where nothing was happening. And then four weeks before the surgery, so end of February, I had a follow-up appointment with the nurse at the surgeon's clinic to run through things to do in preparation for the surgery and what I'll need in place to help me recover. So we talked about things like the support garment, which is just basically a really tight-fitting compression garment that you have to wear day and night, four to six weeks post-operation, just to help your wounds heal and to help reduce swelling. We talked about what I probably will and won't be able to do after surgery, how soon I could get back to exercising, how to manage pain, what to expect around pain and discomfort. We talked about lymphatic drainage massage, which is to help the lymphatic system drain. That basically slows down post-operation. So that can lead to swelling. So the lymphatic drainage massage is to help that. We talked about making sure I have time off work and any other accommodations I might need for work. And then of course, preparations for the surgery itself. And then one week before the procedure, I had a uh, pre-op assessment at the hospital. That was a general health check, like height, weight, underlying medical conditions, blood samples, urine sample, blood pressure, you know, those kinds of general pre-screening things just to eliminate any 
potential risks or highlight any potential risks going into a procedure. And that was it. Weirdly enough, you'd think you'd get anxious about surgery or major procedure, but I actually didn't have time to get stressed or anxious because of the hospital's COVID rules. They wouldn't perform the operation unless I had a negative PCR test that needed to be with them 72 hours before the surgery, and I needed to self-isolate from then until the day of the operation. So I actually self-isolated 10 days before I did my PCR test, and I self-isolated after that. I was super careful but they didn't confirm it was negative until the afternoon before my operation. So I was in a constant state of stress until I had that confirmation because that's the point at which I knew the surgery would be going ahead. So I was so stressed and anxious about that. I actually didn't have time to stress about the surgery itself. And then it was the night before my operation. I was too exhausted from just stressing about the PCR to actually be stressed about the operation. That was pretty much it. Then for this procedure, you're not allowed to eat anything from around 10 hours before admission and not drink anything at all for about five, six hours beforehand. So basically will by mouth. At this time, we weren't allowed any visitors either, so it was basically me being dropped off at the hospital on my own. I turned up at the hospital at 7am, I was taken to my room, where things then moved very quickly. The nurse went through some questions, the surgeon came in and went through everything and drew all over me uh, with some rough markings which he'd be referring to in the operation. I changed into my gown and a few minutes later I was being walked down to the operating room. This was all by 8am. I was put on the bed, the anaesthetist stuck a needle in my arm, put an oxygen mask on me and I was knocked out a few seconds later. And that was pretty much it. The next thing I knew, I was back in my room, all bandaged up and the procedure was over. The anesthetic does keep you dopey for a while, so I don't actually remember much of the rest of that day itself. I just vaguely remember the surgeon telling me it went well. I remember being brought and eating dinner. I remember asking someone why one of my thighs was shaved because there's something about a metallic plate that needs a contact point, so they shaved my thigh. I don't know how I had the presence of mind to pick up on that. I remember FaceTiming my family because, of course, they couldn't come to the hospital because there's no visitors allowed. And for some reason, I took a couple of selfies in my hospital bed. I don't know why I felt compelled to do that because I don't, I'm not normally a big selfie taker, but here we are. I wasn't in pain as such because I was probably still on painkillers, but there was a little bit of discomfort from my seated or lying position not being able to adjust myself properly. I slept pretty well that night. Just some interruptions with the nighttime nurse coming to give me painkillers, check on my blood pressure, and just generally make sure I'm doing okay. The next day, I was a lot more alert, but still a bit groggy. The lead nurse came to have a chat with me, helped me get out of bed and get to the toilet. There wasn't anything stopping me from getting up and going to the toilet before. It's just I felt very uncertain and very uneasy about trying to move myself and trying to get up or lie back down. So I didn't want to risk anything. Early in the morning, the surgeon also came to check in on me and I was alert enough to actually be able to speak to him and understand what he was saying. He helped me get in front of a mirror to see the scars and the wounds, and that was a kind of surreal experience. Before the operation, I had also given him consent to film parts of the procedure and talk through it, so I got to watch that back on his phone. And to be honest, there's something very bizarre about watching a video of your torso just, you know, with bits sliced open. It's very weird. Because I have a few more follow-ups to come, at the time of recording, those that video isn't published anywhere yet, but I will definitely share a link either on the website or on Instagram when he does post those. So we were in front of the mirror, and overall, I did not cope well with seeing the uh, seeing the stitches and seeing, seeing wounds. So the abdomen, I was okay with. There was one long incision along the waistline and one incision up the middle of my abdomen, and those were covered with surgical tape, so that was fine. Under my pectoral muscles, that was, I had two rows of stitches under my chest muscles on each side. So one row, which are kind of like the main internal stitches, those were taped up as well. So I was fine with those. But then there was an extra row of stitches on each side called, I think he called it hemostatic stitching. And that was just kind of like sitting there open. So you could just kind of like see this wire threading through on your chest on each side. And that freaked me out. The other one was nipples because uh, those had to be grafted back on. So I kind of was looking at my nipples, which just had some cotton padding covering them. 
and then you could see the, the liner stitching around them and that just that that one it didn't just freak me out on the day it continued to be freak me out and it continued to be something i was very squeamish about for a good three four weeks afterwards and that was pretty much it with the surgeon on that day he obviously just made sure that i was okay and kind of talked me through what the next few days and few weeks would look like but that was pretty much it with him for that time then the rest of the morning was just kind of passing time my family was coming to pick me up in the afternoon so i was just making sure i was alert enough getting my stuff all packed up getting into the support garment and then making sure i knew how to do it up and undo it easily and then just the nurse going through sort of post-operative care so the main things to take away and i cover a lot more of this or will be covering a lot more of this on youtube because i'll break it down into different segments and different different time frames but basically the main points were Wearing a support garment day and night for six to eight weeks, that's to help the wound healing, that's to help it sort of settle in place and to help reduce swelling. Taking painkillers two, three times a day for the next three, four days, and they could give me more if I needed them. It was both ibuprofen and paracetamol. They recommended laxatives because I would be constipated, and I very definitely was. The wounds needed to stay completely dry for 72 hours, so... When I got home, no shower or bath for 72 hours. The tape over the wounds needed to stay pretty dry for four weeks. So I could only shower on a low power shower with my back to the shower head. And then I'd need to use a hairdryer to make sure the tapes were completely dry before I put the support garment on. No intense exercise for at least six weeks. And then, you know, getting back into it was obviously going to depend on how the swelling was. No driving for four to six weeks. Basically, you need to be comfortable enough with the range of motion to move your head freely, and you need to be comfortable with performing an emergency stop. And the one thing which I found really, really hard is actually just that you cannot lie flat. You need to stop your wounds from getting too stretched, and also just swelling won't let you. You can't lie flat, so you normally need the pill an extra couple of pillows under your back just to keep you elevated slightly, and then you also want your legs raised up on something. So it's almost like you're in the fetal position, but on your back instead. And what I also found really hard was that as someone who has slept on his stomach his whole life, getting used to sleeping on my back very suddenly and not having any other choices and not actually being able to move or adjust my sleeping position, that was challenging. So yeah, that, that took a lot of getting used to. That was basically it. You just kind of gradually get a little bit better each day. The swelling is taking a long time to go down, but that's normal. And that's basically what your sort of post-operative care looks like. In terms of follow-up appointments, I had one follow-up appointment 48 hours after the surgery to remove the, those external stitches, the second row stitches under my chest. I had a one-week follow-up to change the tapes and check the wounds, two-week follow-up to change the tapes and check the wounds, and both of those, the nurses kept saying it's healing really quickly and it's healing really well, so it's all, it's all looking positive. After four weeks was my first time seeing the surgeon after he had seen me in hospital. At that point, the tapes came off, so I didn't have to wear them again. He was very happy with how the wounds were looking and how the recovery was going and how things were healing up. And I was also pretty happy with how things are going. But because things are going so well, he said that he doesn't need to see me again for another three, four months. So after the end of April, I haven't actually had another follow-up yet, but that will be middle of August. So depending on when you're listening to this, I may have already had it or it may still be in the future. Having said that, the surgeon did also say that if I want or need to see him for anything before then, I can just call up the clinic and book it in. Waiting times for post-operative care are nowhere near as long as they were for the initial consultation. He's very thorough and responsive with the post-op care, and really that's what you want. So in terms of recovery, like I think I've mentioned several times now, there were no sort of complications or issues with wounds or infections, and overall recovery has been going really well. I was hydrating a lot and got back to short walks after around five or six days, and I was back to hitting 10 to 12,000 steps a day, which is my Fitbit target, on after around 10 or 12 days. At first, it was holding on to the handrail on a treadmill. And then at about three, three and a half weeks, I was more comfortable with walking longer distances outside. So I started doing that. 
because of the swelling and because of the tightness of the stitches, I couldn't reach my arms overhead properly for a while. The range of motion in my arms to reach overhead gradually came back bit by bit. It's only relatively recently, and I am now 12 weeks post-operation, it's only relatively recently that I've been able to reach overhead comfortably and without feeling any kind of resistance or restriction. The swelling was really bad at first, and it took a while to start going down. It is still taking a while to go down. In fact, out of everything, it's the one thing which is taking the longest. It is a lot less now, and it is continuing a downward trend, but I do still find it very frustrating when I kind of put my hand on my stomach and think. Why is this so swollen? In terms of the wounds themselves, the wounds on the abdomen never really hurt. They were numb for a while and I just got pins and needles at random points in time. Just all of a sudden, as sensation started to come back and the nerve, nerve ending started to reactivate. The chest wounds generally, like the parts that were on my chest were generally fine. There was no issues around them. It was under the arms that I found it very difficult. Those stitches felt very, very prickly. Under the arms is of course a high friction area, even at the best of times. So it was much harder to keep that part pain-free. After the tapes came off, so about four weeks, this started to go away, but really it was about six to eight weeks until that stopped feeling, you know, as acutely uncomfortable as it did. The most painful stitches was that second layer of chest stitches, so the hemostatic stitches. Fortunately, I only had those for 48 hours, so those came off very quickly. But those 48 hours, every time I was trying to take a deep breath in, I could just, it's almost like you have something just biting on your chest. That just felt weird and uncomfortable and I absolutely hated it. But like I said, it was only 48 hours, thankfully. So that, that was good. Also worth noting, coughs, sneezes, and laughing were absolutely unbearable for 10 days. You just feel like you're being stabbed. And with sneezes, especially because you feel them coming and just kind of like grab onto your abdomen for dear life and just hope it, the pain isn't too bad. But yeah, it took about 10 days to laugh pain-free. It took about two weeks to cough pain-free, and that you also depended on the intensity of the cough. Sneezing pain-free, probably about a month. So don't, don't catch a cold when you're recovering, because that's just going to mess things up a hell of a lot. Yeah, overall, recovery has just been boring and steady with no major drama. Things went and are still progressing well each day and each week. Like I said, I got back to longer outdoor walks after about three weeks, so I started hitting my 12,000 steps a day again. And I was back in the gym lifting very light weights around eight weeks. I have been doing that regularly three, four times a week since then, kind of making good progress and getting back to what I was lifting before the surgery. So that, that's a positive sign. I touched on this swelling already. That was and is still annoying. It goes up and down and fluctuates throughout the day. And it was very, very uncomfortable at its worst, but it has since faded and it is still going down. I do still have swelling and it does still kind of hit me quite badly some, some evenings, but it's nowhere near what it was. And, you know, before I couldn't stand upright, whereas now I can stand upright, I can backbend, I'm still swollen. If I try and stand fully upright, I do feel that stretch, but it's not as uncomfortable and it's not as difficult to manage as it was. I touched on the lymphatic drainage massage. So that helps reduce the lymphatic system swelling and it can help with recovery and reducing the risk of thick, lumpy scar formation. I did that weekly for eight weeks after my surgery. I found a great local therapist who came to me and was very experienced with doing this kind of massage. That reminds me, I do actually need to book another follow-up appointment with her, but yeah, it was, it was helpful, but there's a very noticeable difference in swelling after having those massages done. So that's where I'm at around uh, 12 weeks post-operation and things are still going well. I have full range of motion in my arms, although the chest scars do still pull a little bit. That will go as time as I soften. I am back to normal activity. Day-to-day uh, -day stuff and exercise is absolutely fine. And in terms of like my current care routine, it's just basically covering my scars in the morning and in the evening with silicon gel. Daily massage to reduce the swelling. And also just over the scars to stop them from getting too firm. 
Otherwise, I'm hydrating, I'm looking after my nutrition, I'm making sure I'm getting adequate fuel. And yeah, it's just like recovery's been uneventful. It's just needed patience. It's been mentally and physically challenging because you have to adapt pretty much every part of your everyday life. And that takes some getting used to. But it's been uneventful. I just need to be patient with it. That's kind of how my whole procedure went. I want to talk about the impact it's had on me. And the impact has been dramatic. I feel so much more confident with my body, with my skin. I'm much happier with how my clothes fit. I'm much happier with how I look. No one had seen my torso in years apart from me. And I'm not anywhere near as embarrassed or ashamed about it as I was before. I, I haven't been swimming yet. I mean, I haven't been swimming since I was five or six, but... Once my scars appeal a little bit more, I will probably take up swimming. I've never been scuba diving or ever felt comfortable with putting on a wetsuit, but that's something that's on my bucket list now as well. I talked about not wanting a relationship because I didn't want to put myself in a position where I'd be intimate with someone because of my body image. I'm now back on to, you know, trying to not be single. So we'll see how that goes. And that confidence is kind of transferred into other things as well. Like I never had a problem with my arms and shoulders, but I never felt comfortable on tank tops. But now... I wear tank tops, you know, just the level of comfort with my own body image and therefore with myself has changed so much. I'll probably do a couple of photo shoots at some point to mark this transformation. I'm going to just indulge myself with some vanity and selfishness. I want my scars to heal a bit more. I want them to fade. I want the swelling to go down fully and I want to regain some of the muscle that I've lost during the recovery phase before I look at doing this. But yeah, that is very definitely something on the cards because it's not only just to kind of, you know, celebrate what I've done. It's also more like this is now when I, for the first time in my life, I kind of feel like I'm not trying to lose weight. This is the first time that's ever happened. And I kind of want to you know, mark the occasion of being able to close that chapter of always feeling like I need to lose weight. So yeah, that sounds very selfish and self-indulgent, but that's where I'm at. It just, it, it's, it is a huge deal for me and I do want to make a big deal about it. So in my case, things did overall align very nicely. I was in great hands. I had a very, very positive experience. And since the procedure, things have been getting better day by day. I've got zero regrets about any part of having this done. I did the planning. I did my research. I did my homework. I was pretty firm with my budgeting. I was responsible enough and I won't deny it. I was privileged enough to be able to afford it. And I made sure I was doing it for the right reasons for me. There are, of course, horror stories out there. And it's so important that you do your homework and give something like this all the thought and consideration it deserves not just for an abdominoplasty or gynecomastia procedure, but for any major cosmetic procedure. I do cover a lot of the tips and advice, you know, to help see you in the right direction and to help you do your homework in the previous episode. So please do listen to that. But like I said, it's had such a huge positive impact on me mentally and physically, and I'm still recovering. I've barely been able to get started with the, you know, enjoying my new confidence yet. So there's a lot more to come there. But yeah, I am so happy at how things have turned out. And I'm very, very grateful for having gone through this. You know, if you have any questions on my experience, please do feel free to reach out. You can find me on the website, fitnessdrifter.com, where you can reach out to me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or TikTok. My username is fitnessdrifter, all in word, on all of them. And if you want to get some general advice around how to do your homework and how to research both the procedure you're looking at and finding a good surgeon, then please do listen to my previous episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. As a one-man army, I really could do with all the help I can get, and you would be doing me a huge favor if you could leave a review or a rating to help me get the word out. You won't just be helping me, you might help other men show themselves some kindness and appreciate their bodies more in the process too. Thanks again.